Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Hey, this morning we're uh, very honored uh, to have a wonderful guest speaker with us. His name is Ron Maddox. Uh, some of you know him. Uh, he knows Harry and Martha Cobb. They went to church together. Ron met his wife. Ron's from Georgia. He's a Georgia Bulldog fan, okay? Just keep that in mind, all right? And uh, he goes to Southeastern, and he marries a girl from New Jersey, so that's a really good blend, you know? Uh, they start their ministry. I just... I'm going to let him tell all the story, but I just want you to kind of have an idea of his life. He pastored in Monticello, just right down the road from here for a few years when he got out of school. Then he pastored in Grand Ridge, Florida for a period of time, felt the missions call, and went from Grand Ridge, Florida to Hong Kong, okay? Is there any big, bigger cultural difference in the world? I mean, you've just learned the subway system of Grand Ridge, now you got to learn the subways of Hong Kong, okay? And he served in Hong Kong for four years, he and his wife, and then for the next 20 years, they served in Thailand in the Far East. After their service there, he became one of our leaders, and he oversaw the missions works uh, in Vietnam, in Cambodia, in China, in Laos, in Burma, uh, giving oversight to the missionaries and the ministries there. Uh, also, a, a really great fact, he's flown over 6 million miles, okay? Now listen, if you've flown, if you've got that many air miles, you deserve free lifetime chiropractic care, right? Good night. Uh, so I want you to know when you hear him this morning, this is not a novice. This is a man who literally has given his life for the gospel so that people all around the world in the, the, the peninsular Asia area can hear about Jesus. At the end of the service, we're going to take a missionary offering for him. So as he speaks today, man, let God touch your heart, and I'll give you more instructions on that today. But it's our missions month today, and I can't think of a better person to come tell the story of missions. He's given his life to missions. So would you make welcome to Generations Church this morning, Ron Maddox. Wow, thank you so much, Pastor. I mean, that wow, what a what a terrific introduction. I mean, I wish my mother could have heard that. I mean, that was absolutely terrific and so good to see the uh, the Cobbs here and Martha Cobb uh, from uh, uh, my home church, I grew up in Atlanta. And Pastor mentioned that I am a Georgia Bulldog fan, grew up in Atlanta, but I did graduate work at Florida State University. So, so I am equally an FSU fan, so I'm double happy after yesterday. Both my teams won. But, but it's just great to be here. I mean, I love this church. Wow, what a great church. What a great presence of the Lord was here with us this morning. And then... I mean, what a great pastor you guys have. I mean, he, you know, i tell you what, he picked, he, he picked me up at the airport and we went to eat yesterday. And I mean, he just, he, he just bubbles over. I mean, he does it. He's great. I mean, he's just full of Jesus. And, I, and I'm just so excited to be here with you guys this morning. Now, uh, I'm going to minister to you from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. And I'm, and I'm just going to tell you. Uh, that passage. Uh, in uh, in uh, Luke 5 verse 17, the Bible tells that Jesus was ministering, he was teaching in a house. And it says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there. Now, these Pharisees and teachers of the law, they were not Jesus' fan club. They were the ones who came, they doubted Jesus was who he said he was. They, they, they came to try and catch him in something, to trip him up, to, uh, uh, to, to discourage the people from following him. But it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there. And then immediately in the next verse, the next verse and it says, And the power of the Lord was present to heal. Then it tells the story of four men who brought their friend, 
These four men had a friend who was paralyzed. They heard that Jesus was going to be there on this particular day. They knew that Jesus was a healer and they thought if we can get our paralyzed friend to Jesus, Jesus will heal him. And so they brought him. He was on a mat. They would have fashioned like a blanket blanket under the mat, lifted up, carried him from the corners. They figure we'll just go there. We'll take him into the house. We'll lay him down in front of Jesus and Jesus would heal him. What they had not figured on was on the crowd. When they got there, the crowd was so great that they could not get into the house. They would have been spilling out the doors. The crowd would have been spilling out the windows. They couldn't get him into the house, but they weren't discouraged. They took him out. In those days, houses were flat roofed. They had a little stairway going up the side of the house to the roof. So they took him up to the top of the roof. They began to break the tiles up. They lowered him down in front of Jesus. And the Bible says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven you. These Pharisees and teachers of the law, they thought, well, they, they, did, they weren't happy about that. They didn't say anything because the crowd was on Jesus' side. But they were thinking in their hearts, who is this blasphemer? Who can for, pronounce forgiveness of sin but God alone? They didn't verbally say it, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said to them, what's more difficult, to pronounce forgiveness of sin or to pronounce healing. Then to demonstrate his authority, uh, he uh, said to the man, get up, take what you were brought in on, gather it up, and go home healed. The man was instantly healed. He got up, he gathered up everything, his mat, he went home rejoicing. And then in verse 26, I just love it. The Bible says, everyone praised the Lord, and they said to one another, we have seen remarkable things today. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be in this great church today. And Lord, every time I preach, whether it be in a house church meeting in in China or or, or Vietnam or whether it be in an open-air evangelistic campaign or whether it be in a great church of America like this, every time I preach, I always pray, Lord, one more time anoint me by your Holy Spirit. Let there be a demonstration of the power of the Lord on the ministry of the Word. Speak to your people people, dear God. And I pray in this faith promise service uh, that faith will rise up in our hearts uh, uh, for the loss of the world, and we will respond in the way that you would have us to do so today. I ask it in the precious and the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. And amen to God forevermore. Now, I, t- I, t- I told you this story, but what I love is in that last verse, after they, they, they heard Jesus pronounce uh, forgiveness of sin, they saw Jesus heal this man. Uh, they turned to one another and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. I mean, I love that statement. We have seen remarkable things. And I, I can understand that. February, my wife and I, it will be 45 years that my wife and I have been Assemblies of God missionaries in February. And over these 45 years, I mean, we have seen remarkable things. We've been to remarkable places. Uh, we've been to the Great Wall of uh, the Great Wall of China. I've been to Tibet. Uh, we've, we've been all the way seen remarkable places. I've met, uh, I've met remarkable people. Uh, I, I negotiated our entry into Laos uh, and opened up Laos as a communist Laos as an Assemblies of God uh, 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 mission field, meeting with the president of Laos and negotiating our entrance and and I met so many remarkable I've seen remarkable I've seen remarkable things on my plate <laughs> on my plate I have seen remarkable things. For years, I did open-air evangelism all over Thailand, and uh, we had a big team, and uh, there were about 15 on the team, and, the, and uh, they would go set everything up, and then once everything was set up, they would contact me in my home in Bangkok, and they'd say, okay, Ajahn Ron. Ajahn means like pastor, teacher, reverend, and type. Ron, my name. So, okay, Ajahn Ron, uh, everything's ready. Come on up. So they, they went up to the far northeast of Thailand on one particular occasion. Once everything was ready, they contacted me, said, Everything's ready for the evangelistic meeting. You can come on up. So, uh, so I went up there. I got on a bus about 8, 9 o'clock at night, uh, rode all night long, got to the site of our campaign uh, about 11 o'clock the next morning. Our cook, we had a full-time cook because we had a big team. Our cook's name was Jun. 
And so John said to me, uh, uh, John Ron, heal my cup. He said, uh, uh, Pastor Ron, he said, are you hungry? I said, heal my I said, I'm very hungry. He said, well, I've made something special for you. Let me tell you something, friends. The words that missionaries fear the most are, I made something special for you. He put down in front of me a plate full of frogs. Now, I'm not talking about frog legs. I mean, some of us have eaten frog legs, haven't we? No, I'm not talking about frog. I'm talking about frog. I'm talking about the whole thing. Head, little arms, legs, body, the whole thing. And they don't French fry them either. They'll take them and they'll kill them and they'll lay them out on a rattan mat and they'll sun bake them till they're dry and rubbery. That's frog jerky, isn't it? Listen, I know what it is to have a frog in your throat. I mean, I really do. So I've seen remarkable things. But when I read this, and they said, we've seen remarkable things today. I asked myself, now, what remarkable things had they seen? And, you know, we read the Bible, and sometimes we will revisit passages of Scripture that we've read before, and, we'll, and sometimes we'll see something that we hadn't seen before. We'll have a person. But, but when I read this on one occasion, I thought, what remarkable things had they seen? And so I, I just really looked at that passage, and I found three remarkable things that they had seen. And I want to walk through those three things. First of all, they saw that the power of the Lord was present even in the midst of doubters. It said the Pharisees and teachers of the law from Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding area were there. These are the guys who sucked the air out of the room. They doubted that Jesus was who he said he was. They doubted that Jesus was the Son of God. And so it says that these people were there. And the very next verse said, the power of the Lord was present. I've seen that in my ministry. And I've seen it in Vietnam. I had the opportunity to open Vietnam and as Assemblies of God mission field in 1990. Many of you know the story. Maybe there are in the congregation today someone who's a, a, a veteran of the Vietnam War. But in, in 1975, the communist north uh, uh, flooded down over South Vietnam and, and they seized control of South Vietnam. At that time, everyone had to leave. All the foreigners had to leave. Our Assemblies of God missionaries had to leave. All other missionaries had to leave. The government... Uh, this communist government of Vietnam uh, said that there is no place for Christianity in this communist country. There's no place for the church. There's no place for religion. There's no place for Christianity. And they determined that they would wipe out Christianity. We had not been as a mission, the Assemblies got, we had not been as a mission in Vietnam for that long. We were only there between five and seven years, but, but God blessed and people got saved and we started a, a, a national church. When our missionaries had to leave, they, they prayed. They did not know what was going to happen to our church. The government of Vietnam doubted that anyone, that any Christian could survive what they had in store for them. Uh, many of the pastors had to flee for fear of their life. Other pastors who remained uh, were, were put into prison. But the church remained. Uh, they tried to drive them out. Uh, they thought that they had driven them out. They thought that they had destroyed their faith. But they simply went underground. And our Assemblies of God people uh, went underground, uh, out of sight, meeting in house churches and cell groups and secret places. Every time they gathered together, they gathered knowing that at any point the authorities could come in and arrest them. Many times they did. They arrested the lay leaders, put them in jail for periods of time. And so, uh, so uh, they doubted the government of, of, of Vietnam, doubted that the church could survive, but they survived. And we had no idea during those intervening years from 1975 until 1990 where they were. What was there. We, didn't even, we didn't even know if they still existed. But in 1990, we were able to get back into Vietnam. And by a miracle, we were able to contact them and find out that they were still there. I remember uh, on a very early trip that I was there, I met with some of our people and they said, Brother Ron, uh, they said they tried to destroy us, but we're still existing, and we still are assemblies of God people. They said, we've got a, a little service that is going on uh, uh, this afternoon, and we want you to speak for that service. Will you do it? I said, well, sure, I'll be happy to. They said, somebody will be out in front of your hotel at a certain time. I went out there. There was a guy on a motorcycle. I, I, I recognized him. They introduced me to him. He said, get on the back. I got on the back of the motorcycle, and, uh, and, and we rode down the, the, the streets and the side streets, 
riding up and down trying to make sure that nobody was following us. When they were sure of that, they went to a back street. They rode down the back street. There were a bunch of little storefronts and shops. Uh, the guy on the motorcycle, he pulled up to a, to a storefront. He didn't just park in front of it. He turned into it and he drove that motorcycle all the way down the aisle of that storefront till it got to the very back. He said, okay, get off. So I got off. Suddenly, a panel up in the ceiling opened up and a ladder came down out of the ceiling. The guy said to me, go on up. So I went up. When I, when I got about chest high, when I went from my chest up, I got above the level of that ceiling, I began to look around and the attic was was full of people. They were all sitting on the floor. Uh, there, there was a little wooden uh, uh, pulpit. There was a cross on the wall. And I think, they're doing church in the attic of this storefront. They said, uh, Brother Ron, come on up. I went on up. And then they put the panel back down. There was a lot of street noise and commotion uh, that covered the sounds. They began to sing and worship the Lord and, and praise God. And, and, uh, 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 and after, uh, after a while, they turned to me and they asked me to preach so I got up there and let me tell you in Vietnam the only place ever in my life that every single person in the room was taking notes was in Vietnam they just scarfed it up I mean it was amazing it was powerful when it was over they said brother Ron tomorrow we're having Bible school graduation I thought Bible school how can you have a Bible school here in Vietnam. I mean, they were illegal. They had no buildings. They had no churches. How could you do Bible school? They said, well, we do it this way. We'll meet in a secret place for about two weeks, and then we'll move to somewhere else, and we'll meet there for about two weeks. Then we'll move to somewhere else, and we'll meet there for about two weeks, and, and staying ahead of, of, of the authorities. They said, our Bible school has two parts, part one and part two. All the students who, uh, who studied part one, they said, okay, we're going to take a break. And now you uh, that have studied in part one, you have to go and start a church. Now they're not talking about church, but they're just talking about a, a, a house fellowship. They said, if you've done part one, you've got to go and you've got to start a church. In order to qualify to do Bible school part two, they had to plant a church. If they could not successfully plant a church, they weren't allowed to go to Bible school part two. They said, we don't want to waste our time on non-productive people. So, so they, they went to uh, uh, part two. They finished it. They were graduating. So they said, tomorrow we're having Bible school graduation and we want you to be the speaker for it. I said, I'll be happy to do so. You just tell me where it is. They said, we can't tell you. Now, it's hard to go to church when they won't tell you where it is. <laughs> they said, the guy will be there on the motorcycle in front of the hotel in the morning. You just be there, and he'll bring it. So the next morning, I went out. I got on the back of the motorcycle. We rode out to the edge of town. When we got out to the edge of town, he pulled over on the side of the road, and there was a bus there. One of the believers owned a bus rental company, and so this was safe. So there was a bus there. He said, get up. He said, go ahead and get up. So, uh, so I went up there, and when I looked, all, all these Bible school graduates, they were on the bus. And so uh, uh, the uh, superintendent of the, uh, I mean, <laughs> there's illegal, they, they had a superintendent of the uh, uh, illegal underground Assemblies of God movement. He said, come on up, Brother Ron. So I went up. He said, sit right here. So I sat down. I thought, now I know what's going to happen. We're going to ride out. We're going to go somewhere out in the country, some safe place. We're all going to get off the bus, and we'll, and, we'll, and we'll do the graduation. Well, we started out of town. We rode out into the countryside, got, we went out for quite a while. And then when we got out so far out from the city, all of a sudden they began to sing. And I mean, it was like today. I mean, as they sang, the power of the Lord came down. They began to praise and they began to worship and they began to weep and they began to speak in tongues. And they just kept singing. And as they were singing and the power of the Lord came down, that bus began to rock and reel. It was a holy rolling Bible school bus going down the highway in Vietnam. Suddenly I realized we're going to do this on the bus. We're not going somewhere. Bible school graduation is on the bus in Vietnam. So after they worshiped for a while, the superintendent turned to me and said, Okay, Brother Ron, 
let's preach. <laughs> and so I got up, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and he stood there. Uh, you know, the door was here. I stood up in the front. There was a rail. I was holding on the rail with one hand, and in my Bible with the other, the superintendent was on the top step. He was interpreting. The bus driver was there. And so I, I was, I mean, I was hanging on. As that bus was kind of rocking and rolling, I was hanging on, and I was preaching. I preached to him for about 25 minutes. All of a sudden, somebody whistled. When somebody whistled, I looked at the, the superintendent, my interpreter. He said, just sit down, sit down. So I went and sat down. Everybody tucked their Bibles away. They brought out sack lunches. Somebody handed me a sack lunch, and everybody began to eat. I thought, now, I know I preach long sometime, but we never had to take a meal break in the middle of it before. So we just ate our lunch and all. Then we came around a curve in the road, and there was a police checkpoint that was there. They sent out a scout, and they knew where the police checkpoint was. And uh, uh, so when we came around and they saw the police checkpoint, we were just eating. Nobody was singing. Nobody was preaching. We were just eating lunch. We waved at the police. They waved back at us. We rode on. After we got a couple of miles beyond that, uh, somebody whistled again. I looked at him. He said, let's preach some more. So I got up and I began to preach about another 25 minutes. Then when I was finished, he said, okay, now we're going to lay hands on the graduates and we're going to commission them into the ministry and then we're going to anoint them with oil we went up to the first one and we laid hands on this uh, on this young lady and we began to pray her for her and we prayed that God would keep her and that God would sustain her and that God would anoint her in her in her in her ministry and that God would give her protection uh, uh, from uh, uh, from these government authorities who would uh, who would seek to destroy her and seek to put her in prison. so we so we laid hands on her we prayed for her when we were finished doing that uh, they said okay let's anoint her with oil well, now, you know how we anoint with oil here in the States. We get a bottle, we get a little bit on our finger, and we'll do like a little dabble, do you, right? That's not how they do it. They brought out a box full of bottles of oil. And so they took the first oil, unscrewed the cap, and poured that entire bottle of oil over her head. It ran down her hair. It ran down her cheeks. It fell onto her blouse. And when that oil got on her, the Holy Spirit came on her. She began to weep. She began to pray. She was making her commitments to Jesus. I'll go where you want me to. I'll plant the church. I'll go to jail. I'll go to prison if necessary. I just want to serve you, Jesus. We went from one to the other, laying hands on and commissioning them, pouring bottles of oil all over them. I'll tell you, I've seen remarkable things. I asked them, I said, how is it that not uh, the government's out to get you? They're out to destroy you. How is it that not only you survive, but you thrive? They said, Brother Ron, they could take away our pastors. They could take away our Bibles. They could take away our churches. They could take away our freedoms, but there's one thing they can't take away they can't take Jesus from our hearts he is alive and he is real and they can't take him from us the power of the Lord was present even in the midst of doubters why is the power of the Lord present because Jesus was present and in them we finished that Got back to the hotel. I had a, another missionary who'd been with me, uh, 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 Lowell. And uh, we got back to the hotel, and we were talking about the marveling over the events of the day. And a knock came on the door of, uh, of, of our room. And I thought, well, who would that be? I went and opened it, and I, I recognized the, the, the man. It was a man and a, and a younger guy. And I recognized the, uh, the man. He was one of, our, one, of, one of the workers there. And he said, Brother Ron, he said, this young man is one of our Bible school graduates. He said he got there late and he missed the bus. And he said, so he wants you to pray for him and commission him and anoint him with oil. Would you do that? I said, I'll be happy to do that. Come on in. When they came in, I closed the door. I said, did you bring the anointing oil? He said, oh, no. He said, I forgot that. I said, don't worry. Every, every, I got it covered. Everything's under control. So anyway, we talked a little while, and then we began to pray. I laid hands on him and began to pray the same prayers that would prayed on the young people on, on the bus that God would protect them and sustain them and anoint them and use them for the planning of the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, and then uh, after praying and commissioning him, uh, there's a bottle on the counter. I picked up the bottle on the counter. I unscrewed the cap, and I poured that liquid all over his head. And the same thing... It 
it began to flow down his hair, his face. And, and the same thing, when, when that liquid came on him, he began to shout. He began to praise God. He began to weep. He began to speak in tongues. He was making commitments to Jesus. I mean, it was powerful. When it was all over and they left, I turned to the missionary that was with me. I said, you know, Law, I said, I believe that's the first one that I ever anointed with scope mouthwash. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it didn't seem to matter to him. I don't think it mattered to God either. Do you? He was anointed and he was ready to go. I was on another trip there in Vietnam, me and about two or three uh, two or three others, and, uh, and uh, they had arranged a service. Uh, uh, one of the believers owned a lacquer factory. It's a big business, and, and it was safe because they had a wall around the whole thing, a big wall, and just you go inside that, and they've got the administrative offices. And then they had another wall around the, the actual factory where they made the lacquerware. And so they were doing a service in that evening, and so, so we got in, and uh, we, we went through the first wall, we went through the second wall, we went into the big factory uh, room where they did the lacquerware, and things were pushed back, there's a lot of room, and group of people there, and it, it's just kind of the same thing, I mean, when, you, when you'd go to, go to church with these, with these uh, remarkable uh, people, in Vietnam, I, I mean, you knew that the power of the Lord was going to be there, and, and uh, again, they just began to praise the Lord, I mean, it's just so much like the service we had earlier that, that you just sing and you worship God and the presence of God comes down is a, because God inhabits the praise of his people and so so they did and then they asked me to preach and I preached and they said well we want everybody to preach so the other three preached and I mean we're just having a time we had a prayer time and when things were kind of kind of uh, beginning, to, beginning to end and people were beginning to prepare to leave a lady came into the building she had not been there for the service a lady came in and she had her young daughter with her, her daughter was about 12 years old old and when they came to the place where the power of the Lord was all of a sudden the young girl began to manifest demonic possession and uh, her body began to twist and in, 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 in demonic torture her arms began to writhe like like uh, like like serpents and her hands cup like the fanning of the hood of an angry cobra if somebody stepped near her her hands would like strike out like a serpent striking out the mother told us the story how a neighbor of hers who was an unsaved person a, a follower of what we call and tie a, a mob he a, 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 a spirit doctor, a witch doctor. Uh, this, that other lady uh, hated this woman because this woman loved Jesus. So she went to her witch doctor and she paid her to put a curse on the little girl, the 12-year-old girl. And so the witch doctor put a curse on the girl and the girl became de demon-possessed with these demons that manifested like serpents. And so when the lady finished telling the story, all of the people began to gather around the little girl. And, and all of a sudden, out of the crowd, there was a young girl they called her Sister faith because she had such great faith and power with God she's only 19 years old she wasn't five foot tall she wouldn't have weighed 90 pounds she stepped out of the crowd she said okay everybody they begin to give orders everybody back up back up back up so they all kind of backed up she said now lay the little girl down and so they laid the little girl down the girl was there uh, writhing and, and she said somebody give me a bible somebody had her in her bible she opened the bible she laid the open bible across the girl's ankles somebody give me another one. They gave her another one. She laid that across her thighs. Somebody give her another one. They gave her another one. She opened that and laid it across her chest and her heart. Give me one more. They gave her one more. She laid that across her faith, uh, face. I looked at that girl. There she was laying there uh, in demonic uh, uh, possession. Bibles uh, uh, laid uh, open Bibles over her ankles, over her, her thighs, over her chest and heart, over her face. I, I remember thinking to myself as I looked at that girl, the Bible's lining her body. I thought she has applied the word of God to that little girl's situation and that little tiny 19 year old uh, 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 Vietnamese evangelist girl spoke and she said in the name of Jesus come out of her and that little girl leapt to her feet shouting and praising God she was freed by the power of God I, I mean, the power of the Lord is there and present even in the midst of doubters. And the next thing uh, that these people saw was that, uh, uh, was that uh, God achieves his purposes through unconventional methods. You see, these people brought their friend 
to bring him and present him in the house to Jesus. And the, the conventional way to get in the house is to walk through the door, right? They couldn't get through the door because of the crowd. Well, maybe you could pass them through the window. They couldn't pass them through the window. So what did they do? Something unconventional. They went up the steps. They went on the flat roof. They began to break up the tiles of the roof. Could you imagine this? Jesus is there teaching. The people are sitting there enthralled. And all of a sudden, some dust begins to fall down from, from the ceiling. And then a little bits of tile. And, and they could see a little hole opening up. And the hole uh, opened up wider and wider and wider and wider. And then suddenly, a body was being lowered down in front of Jesus. And Jesus saw the man. And Jesus forgave him of his sin. And Jesus, uh, uh, and Jesus healed the man. He, uh, God accomplished his purposes through unconventional methods that day. And in my career, I've seen God accomplish his purposes through unconventional methods. For years, I did this open-air evangelism, and, and I did it all over Thailand. And, and uh, 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 Thailand was surrounded by what's called restricted access countries. Uh, uh, access countries. Uh, Burma to the west, which was a military dictatorship. Laos, a communist country, uh, to the north and curled around to the east. Cambodia to the due east of, uh, of Thailand. And, and when I did my campaigns, my uh, evangelistic meetings, we, we, we would bump right up against these borders. And, and so uh, sometimes we'd, we'd be right by the border of Cambodia. Uh, uh, Cambodia was in civil war. 1975, Paul Pot led the Khmer Rouge into power. Uh, in five years, he was responsible for the death of over two million Cambodian people, a quarter of the population of the country. And Vietnam felt threatened, so they, they, they invaded and pushed Paul Pot out of power and set up a puppet government. And then for the next several years, they were in civil war. And, and, and we, we do these evangelistic meetings. Sometimes uh, uh, my, the platform I was on was no further from here than, than to the back wall. And we'd hear machine gun fire. And you could you feel the ground tremble for mortar shells. And God sees my heart. And I thought, we have got to get in there. It's a communist country. There's no freedom of religion. Uh, uh, there, there, there are no churches. Uh, uh, there are only... There are only Less than 200 Christians in the whole country scattered. Uh, and, and so, but I began to pray and say, God, you got to do so. We've got to get into that country. They would not allow foreign religious people in there but, uh, and to do anything. But I began to pray. And so I, 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 said, I talked to our regional director, Bob Houlihan. And, and I said, Bob, we got to get in there. And so we applied for a visa. We got a visa for one visit. One visit only. And so it's myself and Bob Houlihan, Lester Kinney, uh, who was an area director for an area at that time. And so we went in there. We weren't ready for what we saw. It was a shelled-out, broken-hearted city, Phnom Penh. Uh, 65,000 war orphan children plying the, the streets of the cities of Cambodia. Uh, uh, every third or fourth person you saw on the street had lost limbs, legs, or arms from landmines. More landmines in the country than there were people and it was a broken hearted place. And, and the government was taking us and they were showing us around. And we'd meet with different people. And we began to pray, God, bring us into contact. Bring us into contact with someone who has the authority to give us permission to come and establish our Assemblies of God ministries here. So every day we're meeting with people. And then one day we're meeting in the Ministry of Social Affairs, uh, uh, Foreign Affairs. We're meeting with a man by the name of Him Samuk. Suddenly it dawned on us, this is the man. This is the man that has the authority to give us permission to come. And as we were there meeting, we began to pray in our hearts, God, do something. God, do something. Uh, Bob was talking uh, uh, to this man. And as Bob was talking to him, I took out a little thing. It looked kind of like a, a smartphone, like an iPhone or, or, or Samsung. It's about the same size. But there were no pocket computers. There were no smartphones in those days. It was just a little electronic memo taker. You could take it and you could just like... Tap out letters and make sentences. and you just It was a note taker. That's all it was. Bob's talking to him. I take this out, and I began to type, uh, type out some notes. All of a sudden, that man, Himsamook, looks at me. He points at that device, and he said, what is that? And before I could say, well, it's just an electronic memo taker, Bob said, that's a pocket computer. <laughs> well, that was a prophetic word. They didn't even exist in those days. That man got excited. He said, pocket computer. And he looked at me, and he said, do you know about computers? And before I could say, say, no, I don't know about computers. Bob said, yes, he's a computer expert. 
Man, now I'm getting nervous. I mean, Bob's saying things that aren't true. The man got excited. He said, we've got one computer. Somebody gave us one computer, and it's broken. He said, uh, as he looked at me, he said, can you fix our computer? And before I could say, well, I'm sure that I cannot fix your computer, Bob said, yes, he can fix your computer. Now he said, well, let me take you to it. I mean, he led us out that building across an open courtyard to another building. And, and uh, I, I mean, we're just trying to get presence. We're just trying to get presence in the country. But I took Bob the arm. I said, what are you doing to me? I said, this is a communist country. They're in civil war. They are mean. I said, if I can't fix this computer, they may put me in prison. Bob said, that may be just the opening we're looking for. So now Bob's turned on me. So we get in there, and, and, and there was a desk, and there was a computer on top of the desk in the middle of the room. And he led me there, and I sat at it, and I just kind of looked at it like, what am I going to do about this? Well, I flipped a switch, and when I flipped the switch, this was, this was before Windows. This was before Apple uh, computers and MacBooks and all that kind of thing. It had a kind of a different operating system. But I flipped the switch, and, and, and the power came on, but it was all it was was a little blinking hyphen up in the top corner, just blinking hyphen, blinking hyphen. Thought, oh, Lord, I think the operating system was CPM or something like that. So anyway, so I, I, I thought, oh, so, so anyway, so, so I said, do you have the original? Remember when computers had diskettes, little three-and-a-half-inch diskettes? I said, do you have the original diskette that came with it? Those were what's called boot disk. You could start the computer with that. You put it in the diskette, and you could start the computer from that, but that didn't solve the problem. The problem was with the hard drive. So anyway, I said, do you have the little original diskette? I think so. She found it. I turned the computer off. I slipped the diskette in. Let it just kind of set for a moment. Then I flipped it on. And it started from that boot disk. But that didn't solve the problem. problem was, so I logged on over to the hard drive. And I got into a file called a config sys file. And I began to kind of work in there. I knew a little bit. You know, I began to work in there and edit it. And I do, did what I knew. Then I did some stuff. I had no idea what I was doing. Finally, it's like. Okay, that's all I got. That's all, that's all I know. That's beyond what I know. And so, uh, and so I turned it off, and I just let it sit for a few moments. And, uh, and when I turned it off, let it sit for a few moments. And then I reached over, and I'd taken the disk out so it wouldn't do anything from that. And so I turned it on, and it, and it booted up. When it booted up, I turned to that communist leader, and I said, it works. When I said, it works, that communist leader threw up both hands, and he said, long live the assemblies of God. <laughs> and then he said, you have helped us. What can we do for you? And I said, we want to come, and we want to establish orphanages and clinics and schools and demonstrate the love of Jesus to hurting Cambodian people. And he sat down at that desk and he wrote permission for our first five entry visas. Then over the next... So you see, God accomplishes his purposes through unconventional methods. No one could have planned that. No one could have strategized that. Only the Holy Spirit could do that. So over the next several weeks, I traveled back and forth from our home in Bangkok, Thailand, to Phnom Penh, and, uh, and, and negotiated. We, and I, I wrote these, uh, these uh, uh, MOUs, Memorandum of Understanding, that we will build these two orphanages, and we will do a school system in this one city, Takao, outside Phnom Penh. Uh, uh, we would do some clinics. We'd do an English language center at the medical university. So, I, so we wrote all those. We agreed. We signed them. I signed those agreements. We had no people, and we had no money. We figure God's brought us this far. He'll take us the rest of the way. And soon the money began to come in and people began to volunteer to come. And, uh, and, and we brought them in and we began construction. But here was the instructions the government said. Uh, they registered us as a social welfare organization. They said you can start your orphanages, you can start your clinics, you can start your schools, but you cannot preach. Well, we, we had to hire people and so... There were 200 Christians in the country. We didn't know who they were. We didn't know. So everybody we hired, we had to hire Buddhist people. So we hired all these Buddhist people. And so, our, so, the, so the missionary said, so what do we do? I said, well, here's what we do. We start with these Buddhist staff. 
You know, we start with the Buddhist staff. And, you know, you, you, can't, you can't preach, but if you're an organization, you have staff meetings, right? And in your staff meetings, you tell them the values of your organization. Well, the values of our organization are Jesus, right? And so I said, well, you start there. And so they'd have these staff meetings, and they would tell these Buddhists about Jesus, and they won all the staff members to the Lord in the orphanages, in the schools, and the clinics. They, I mean, they, they had a, they're meeting with them on a regular basis, daily basis, and they're just sharing Jesus. See, we did not preach. They said, you cannot preach. We did not preach, <laughs> but we shared. All right. So, so anyway, we shared Jesus with them. They came to the Lord, and then using the staff, uh, we we had uh, weekly meetings. Uh, you know, we we had an auditorium and the orphanages and the schools, and we had weekly meetings and our staff, and we began to win these these children to Jesus. Uh, though they came to us uh, uh, in the orphanage, uh, anywhere from just a few months old in a crib to about seven or eight years old. Now, here was the dream that God gave me. The dream that God gave me was you'd start your orphanages, you'd start your schools, these other things. And by the time the kids grew up and they got old enough that they graduated from, from high school, because we're at the orphanage, we had, a, we had a school there. By the time they grow up and they graduate from high school, by that time, God spoke to my heart, the government will have changed and, uh, uh, and uh, you will have the opportunity to build a Bible school. I believe from the very beginning that that was going to happen. Well, four years after we entered, they had free elections. They renounced communism. They declared freedom of religion. They changed our registration from a social welfare registration to a missions registration. We built a Bible school. And when those kids began to graduate, our graduates from the schools and the orphanage began to go to the Bible school. You see, here's my dream. They'd get saved in, those, uh, in the schools in the orphanage. They'd go through our schools. They would, uh, 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 they would graduate. Uh, they would go to our Bible school and they would become our pastors. We had no churches at the beginning. They would become our pastors. They would become the national church uh, 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 officers and that's the way it happened. When we went to Cambodia, there were less than 200 Christians. Today, we have more than 200 Assemblies of God congregations and many of the pastors are the graduates from our orphanages, the graduates of our school. One of the graduates of our orphanage became the general superintendent of the Cambodia Assemblies of God. You see, that's not the way you go into a new country and start the church, but that was the unconventional method God gave us. He accomplishes His purposes through unconventional methods. And then finally, and quickly, the third remarkable thing was that Jesus met the man's most pressing need not his most obvious need. His most obvious need was for healing. He was a paralytic. But the Bible says that when they lowered him down in front of Jesus, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness of sin was his most pressing need. Why? Because you can go to heaven as a paralytic, but you can't go with unforgiven sin. He met the man's most pressing need. And today, the most pressing need in missions is for those that we call the unreached people groups of the world. Those who live in places, the Buddhist, the Hindu, the Muslims, those who have been largely out of reach. And there today uh, is estimated more than three billion people that are in ethnic people groups or in locations where the gospel has not reached them. People who are in people groups in regions where there's, there's no church, they've never seen a cross, they've never heard the name of Jesus, they've never seen a Bible, they do not know a Christian person. It's estimated that in the unreached people groups of the world, largely the Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim world, that 87% of people in unreached people groups do not even know a Christian person. If Jesus appeared to them in a dream in the night, when they woke up, they would not know one single person that could explain to them what they had seen in their dream. For years, I did these open-air evangelistic meetings where I would go to parts of Thailand, the northeast of Thailand, and I would go into cities and villages. Even today in Thailand, there are more than 65,000 villages and cities 
without a church. And I would go into these places and we would set up and we would have our musicians and, and, and they would come sometimes a few hundred, sometimes a few thousand. They came because we did musical presentations and they came to hear that. And I would preach the gospel to people who had never heard of Jesus. I wish I could tell you what it's like to tell people who have never heard the name of Jesus. They've never seen a cross. They've never seen a church to tell them under a starlit high night that there is a God who loved them, who gave his son Jesus, and to give an invitation and see them step out of the darkness of that night and in so doing the darkness of their lives and come forward and after 10,000 and more unanswered prayers to the idols and the images and the gods who could not hear and could not respond and could not help, they prayed the first prayer in their life that ever had an answer when they said, oh God, I never heard of you before, but I heard tonight and I believe. Take away my hurt. Take away my pain. Take away my sorrow. Take away my sin. And you could literally see the very moment that all of the demons that moved into their lives as they were worshiping it at the, at the idols and the temples and the spirit houses uh, and the demons had moved into their lives. You could see the very moment uh, as they prayed that all of those demons moved out of their lives because Jesus, the Son of God, moved in. The pressing need for those who are just outside of reach of the gospel. No church, no Christians, no witness. And the Bible says, how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? The missionary. How shall they hear without a preacher? The missionary. How shall they preach unless they are sent? It's the work of the local church. And today we have an opportunity. It's in, the, it's in the seat back in front of you, a faith promise card. You'll have the opportunity today, tomorrow, uh, next week as well. Is that right, Pastor? To make a missionary faith promise. And, and, and that, that card is in front of you. Take it, will, you, will you just take one of those cards? Just hold it in your hand. You don't have to do anything with it. Just take it and hold it in your hand. As you hold that card in your hand, that card right now is just paper and ink. That's all it is, paper and ink. But as you pray and say, Lord, what's my responsibility? And God speaks to your heart, and you fill it, fill it out, and you put what's in, in your heart on that, and you put your name and your signature. This card ceases being paper and ink, and it becomes a love letter to the lost that says, God loves you, and so do I. But this thing, it's unconventional. It's powerful. This faith promise car is powerful because what it is, this faith promise is a partnership between us and God. It's as God speaks to our heart and tells us what he will do through us. You see, if we're willing to let it go through us, God will get it to us. And if faith promises, Lord, what you speak to my heart to have faith on, I will partner with you and believe you that through conventional resources, my, my, my salary and income and unconventional resources, Lord, those Blessings that you will give me along the way that you will provide for me to do this. But this is how the church knows how to make commitments to the missionaries that they send. And so this is the way that this church reaches the, the lost, the Buddhists, the Hindu, the Muslims. And so faith promises is the way. So pastor, God bless you as you come and lead us in, uh, in this and take us forward. Thank you, friends. So wonderful. So wonderful to be with you today. God bless your hearts. Great job. Thank you, Ron. Well, um, a, a couple of things. Um, we'll do the money stuff at the end. Again, if you're a guest today, when we talk about those kind of pledges, that's just for our regular people. And um, if you know in your heart at this point in the month what you want to do on a monthly basis, you, the, the cards are a huge help to us online. Uh, you're part of our congregation. You can send us an email and we'll, we'll add you to that list. So we have about $5,000 presently in commitments that we would like to, of course, renew and add a few. Uh, in a moment, we're going to take an offering for Ron. Uh, you can write a check, take it to the drop box. You can give online under a guest missionary speaker. We want to we wanna bless him. But like right now, I want to just pray over that part of the world. You know, I was listening to his whole presentation, but when he said at the end, telling people that had never heard about the cross, explaining for the very first time 
about the love of Jesus that captured my heart. We, they have a, um, an emphasis in that part of the world. It's called Change the Map, okay? And uh, it's just a prayer emphasis to pray for those that are in Buddhism and Hinduism and atheism and everything that's in that part of the world in Laos and Burma and Vietnam and Cambodia and parts of China. And, uh, and this morning, we can do the financial stuff later, but right now I just want to do the prayer part of that. You know, like that's going to be a part of the world that most of us will never see. I've traveled all over the world. I've never been to that part of the world in my life. But you know what? God loves every one of those. And he said that faith promise also is our love letter. And it is. But we want to just pray this morning. Ron, would you come? Would you just stand down here at the front? And uh, I want to pray over your ministry, number one. What a, what a great what a great hero. Do you hear something like that and feel like you've absolutely done nothing with your life? Like, good night. But, Ron, we want you to know that part of the world is important to us, you know, financially and prayerfully. And they call it change the map. Just a, a way without being non-religious that we can pray for those in that, in that part of the world. And I'm going to just lead in a prayer for those in those particular countries. We're going to pray for you and just thank you for your years of service. Ron's 70 years old. Most of his family is serving in that part of the world as well. Uh, on Christmas, he's got to go to Thailand to see him, okay? Uh, so we thank you for your, your service and your investment to the kingdom of God. And uh, so can we just pray, just take a moment praying over that part of the world. Lord, we thank you. Lord, you love every soul. This gospel is not a gospel of skin color or economics. Lord, this gospel is a gospel to every person, wherever they're born. And Lord, this morning we pray with other missionaries and leaders to change the map. We pray for believers this morning in Thailand. We thank you for Josh Jacks that's working uh, over there this morning. Lord, we pray for other churches and and missionaries, God, we pray your hand of blessing would be upon them. Lord, we pray for the Seymours and Laos, all the churches and the ministries that are over there as they are, as they are serving. Lord, we pray for Cambodia. Lord, just a, a small start to what you want to do in that country. We pray for those. Lord, we pray for those in Vietnam today. Lord, our country has been at war years ago, and Lord, let our final message to the Vietnamese not be one of armaments, but be, but be one of the Gospels, the Gospel. And Lord, we pray for every Vietnamese pastor and missionary and work this morning. Lord, we pray over them. Lord, in Burma, uh, Lord, we pray. Very difficult country to get in. Lord, we pray over them today. God, we ask you to do something powerful. Lord, your Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, governmental walls and regulations cannot keep out the working of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that the map will be changed. God, that you will do something powerful in that, in that part of the world. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for Ryan. Lord, we thank you for uh, his ministry. And God, we pray you'll, you'll continue to bless him as he uh, does missions work around the world. We just give you thanks in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.